All manner of monsters, madness and magic have forsaken these lands, Raziel. We shall free Nosgoth of this plague. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, joined by my co-hosts Jason and Marcus. And this evening we have a very special guest with us, veteran voice actor and voice and screen actor, the sign of balance himself, Mr. Simon Templeman. Simon, how are you doing tonight? Very good. Nice to uh, to be speaking to all three of you. Yeah, and I know you're going to ask me lots of very detailed questions about the games and the motivations of the characters and what were you thinking when you said this line and it's going to be like a complete blank as far uh. as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? I know, I've been totally busted. Oh, well, let um, me just throw out my, my questions here. <laughs> all right, yeah, go through them. And, and, and it'll be the same answer. Um, I really can't remember. I'll do my best. Go for it. Well, I think I speak for all of us when I say it's a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you. Well, it's nice to be here. It's nice to get out of the house. Yeah, this is the best we can do in these times, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. So initially, what made you want to pursue a career in acting? Was there a performance you can point to and you, you had a eureka moment and that's where you decided that this is what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah, there was really. I, I could I could be sort of glamorous and say it was watching Ian McKellen at the Old Witch Theatre or Patrick Stewart or those guys at the Old Witch Theatre, but it was it was seeing my aunt who was in an amateur dramatic society. I guess you'd call it community theatre, right? Of this cheesy play called The Holly and the Ivy. And mm. I guess I was about seven or eight and I thought that looks so cool. And also, I think I was a, a terrible student. I really, acting kind of answered all the, the questions that I was asking myself. I, it, you know, it seemed to be sort of glamorous and there was a kind of fantasy to the whole thing. So, and, and it, I remember it touched a really sort of powerful chord in me, however cheesy this play was, <laughs> and however awful they were. My poor Aunt Phyllis, she'll be revolving in her grave. <laughs> but yeah, and I guess, and there was a theatre near where I grew up. I grew up outside of London in a town called East Grinstead in Sussex, which was about 30 or 40 miles from London, get a train up. So I had access to theatre. And I, that, that first, I must have been seven or eight when, when I saw that production. And then I started getting interested in it and going to see plays at the Royal Shakespeare Company. When I was older, like 16, 17, I'd drive up to London and see those sort of actors, you know, people like Ian McKell and Patrick Stewart, those guys. And they were, it was a sort of golden time for the Royal Shakespeare Company then. For me, it was, uh, there was a, 
director called Trevor Nunn, who was probably a Sir Trevor Nunn now, but he was, he had this idea of a core of actors, like a company of actors, so it's like a team. And the idea was basically that everybody was kind of interchangeable. Sometimes you'd be playing like lead parts and other times you'd you'd be playing smaller parts but that idea of a kind of team that you you'd shone you know everybody have their moment within a a group really appealed to me and we're talking probably like late 60s early 70s i'm 65 now so that idea of you know a kind of community and it wasn't it wasn't sort of commercial it wasn't interested in so much in making money as 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 you know, developing an art form or revealing these plays to people, that really appealed to me. So I guess that that really started. And then I was lucky enough as a teenager to be involved in something that's called the National Youth Theatre in England. Basically, that was, well, it was in the summer, it was a program that you you go and perform sometimes new plays which were written specifically for a bunch of teenagers, which was something which was new and exciting to me. And then they used to do productions of Shakespeare plays with a bunch of teenagers in too. And they had, you know, there's some, been some really fantastic actors have come out of that oh, yeah. sort of program. I'm blanking on most of them now, but uh, people that I really looked up to. So I got involved with that and that was in the summer and it was, it was great fun. I think I, I learned a lot and I, it, it made me want to pursue it even more. So I went to drama school and then I did a bunch of theatre and then some television and you know and it it kind of it, it went from there it seemed to be a sort of natural course to it when i was a teenager growing up there was there were a lot of community local refugee theaters in england so it was a bit like you know you could start off in some smaller little theater somewhere and you could try and sort of work your way up to the big leagues a bit like baseball you know or soccer it was as it was in england you know you try and get in the premier league so you know you'd start in some little rep theater somewhere and it was a good way of learning to what being an actor was all about so you'd be on stage for you know like seven nights or six nights a week and you'd be doing eight shows a week and mm. change and do you know a new show every three weeks so you'd be rehearsing one play you'd be performing another one at night and then just in terms of like as a young actor who's trying to get experience you know it was, i was i was really lucky to have that i think you learned a lot of lessons you know about being on stage about what that was like working with other actors and trying to work with better and better people you'd see how these really fantastic actors managed to do a great deal with very little effort you know and that that to me was always just brilliant you know you'd see these people who were filling these enormous theaters you know whether it was you know like the olivia at the national theater or it was the aldrich at the rsc when i was watching plays then and they would seem to fill these huge spaces with with what they were doing with such sort of economy and style that I thought I would like to try and emulate them, you know. So that that that's a long-winded answer, but that basically that was what it was. It sort of started in theater. And that company of actors approach, the Swiss Army Knife approach, it has to help the performance, everybody knowing each other and each role that in depth. Yeah, I think so. I think there becomes any like any complex endeavor 
you know, people find easier ways of doing it. And there was also another element which was really nice is that for the audience who would go and see the plays, they felt they had a relationship with that company of actors. So you'd you'd see them do different things. And I I, I think that really, you know, it was a two-way process. And right. as an audience, that there was there was a sort of pleasure in that, you know, seeing Patrick Stewart doing one thing one week and then something else the next. Great. Did you have a favorite role to perform during your time in theater? Yeah, I I I played I played a lot of like Shakespeare parts, which I which I I really found you know like a wonderful opportunity as an actor to sort of stretch. They were like Hamlet, Romeo in Romeo and Juliet, those sorts of parts. They really you really learn about yourself as an actor and about you know what it is to be on stage for three and a half hours, sometimes more <laughs> each night. Um, so yeah, I think Romeo and Hamlet, and there was a there was a, a new play I did by an English writer back in the eighties. He was called Robert Holman. He was a wonderful writer, and it was a the small play called Today. And it he was just such a brilliant writer. It was you know if you just got out of the way and let his dialogue speak and try and make it as real as possible, it was. It was it was a really good learning experience for me. Yeah. Do you have any uh, Simon Templeman tips for aspiring theater actors for remembering their lines? <laughs> <laughs> remembering them? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess well, just re- repetition, really. Just you know, do it as as much as you possibly can in your head. You know. Yeah. It. I, I think it's easier as a younger actors when you're when you you know brain is a bit fresher. Now I find it much harder to learn lines than than I used to. But I don't do as much theatre now, so you know I can kind of cheat. And especially with the the voiceovers, you know, you just you don't even have to look nice. You just <laughs> show up. You know. And there's a bunch of very excited people in a booth, and there's usually a script and a coffee. So it's great. You know, it's not too taxing. Yeah, I really I really enjoy them. So at what age did you uh, move to the States and how was that transition? I did. It was I was on a tour of a play called Nicholas Nickleby. It was based on the Dickens novel and we did it in two parts. And the whole thing was first part was four hours and the second part was four and a half hours. So it was nine. It was eight and a half hours of theater. And we came to Los Angeles and then we did a run on Broadway, in New York. This is in 1986. It was. And I I met my now wife then. She picked me up in a bar and that, mm. and that's it. That's the reason I'm here. <laughs> so be very careful where you go drinking. You know? <laughs> but that, that was basically it. Yeah, I met my wife. She was doing a play in a theater which was part of the same complex. Um, it's called The Taper in Los Angeles. Yeah, we, we met then and we kind of managed to keep our relationship going for about three years. And then I moved out here. We got married in 1989. Mm-hmm. So we've been married for 30 years. I've been here s- properly since then, you know. So this this is home now. What were the biggest What were the biggest changes that you found to auditioning in the UK and auditioning in the United States, if any? Oh, I I think I found it really hard. I found it a really big adjustment for me. I think it's just it's just much more business like here. You know, everybody's like really on their game. Whereas in England, it's a little kind of clubby, uh, or it used to be. That can be sort of reassuring, but it can also drive you crazy because you know the expectations are there. Whereas here, I feel if you you go into the room and you hit it, you know, if you get it right, you've got the job. Whereas 
in England, it felt like there were all these other factors involved, like who's sleeping with who, who's, you know, right. who knows who. Um, and that, of course, that happened to this politics in every, anything. But I, I felt here was, in a way, it was sort of fairer, if that, however mistakenly that impression is. But <laughs> yeah, and, and you had to be really like on your game, you know. Um, you'd, I think the best you ever had to be was in the audition. But, and I'm talking for like, you know, parts on television shows and things like that, you know, if it's like the guest of the week. Um, they probably see 30 or 40 actors, you know, who any one of them could do the job. So, you know, you've just got, a, it's a lot of luck too, you know, but you've just got to feel you've got everything going for you in that room at the time. And, and that was, that was, that was quite a, a sharp lesson. So how'd you find your footing in voice acting from that? Um, you know, I'd always loved radio when I was, Living in England, I always listened to Radio 4 and the World Service, and I, I would go to sleep with the World Service on, which was a sort of news, entertainments and plays, a whole bunch of things, documentaries. Um, but it was it was on the radio. So I, I, I love radio. So the idea of just hearing things, not sit, just, uh, not you know, like film, not seeing them as well, that really appealed to me. And I, I guess when I was here, I knew somebody who introduced me to a voiceover agent and they very kindly took me on. And I sort of, sort of tried to figure it out from there on, I think, as you know, most actors, actors do. I mean, some of these, some of the actors out here are, you know, these voice guys are brilliant. You know, they'll do, they can do a radio show by themselves. You know, they can be thousands of different voices and characters. Right. Uh, I'm not that. I'm like a one trick pony at best. You know, it's a hell of a trick. Good. To, yeah. I know. <laughs> I want, there's a, an actor here called J.B. Blank. I hope I'm screw his name up. But you, a, a lot. Of, he does a lot of voiceovers, and now he does. He also directs uh, games. He's amazing. I did a radio play out here with him, and he interviewed himself. <laughs> it was he, as one character. He did this, and then he was it was amazing so people like him you know i have to wait till he's working and then maybe i'll get a job you know <laughs> but there's a lot of guys like that and i think being english i had a sort of peg to hang it on mm -hmm. you know so they usually round up the usual suspects and we see the same people in the corridor but it's 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 a sort of a, a way of getting in it's uh it made it a little easier for me is your preparation different when you prepare for a voice acting role as opposed to a screen or a theater role yeah it, it is because you you know you really for the the voice stuff you don't re typically know what you're doing until you show up especially for the games and stuff you just they give you the script when you get to the session whereas if you're if you're doing you know something on television then you've got the script typically you know a few days at least in advance so you can and you have to prepare it and you, you know you have to learn it whereas with the voice stuff you just you're just in a booth so it's it's a it's a lot easier in many ways i i it's i like it i i really enjoy doing it because it's like you're trying to you know you kind of get into the groove of it a bit and and that's that's fun and usually the people who, who make the games are they're usually quite happy to see you because they're they're not sitting there you know writing scripts for five years or whatever so it's kind of you know they're, they're pleased to see you when you get to the booth so it's usually a quite a pleasurable experience <laughs> so that's nice but yeah it is it's it's 
it's very different than the, the TV stuff. You've mentioned that, well, when you came in, you said that you listened to the T.C. Carson interview, and he mentions in that interview that he found the voice acting process almost therapeutic, that he could go into the room and transfer some emotion and into the character. He walks out and feels a little loose and a little free afterwards. Do you, is the, have you had that experience yourself? Yeah, that was nice, I thought. Yeah, didn't he say he was going through a tough time or something? Yeah. He had a really tough year. And yeah, what a nice man. Yeah, I do. I, I think he, yeah. I think that's true of, of, of any acting about, also, I guess, any creative process, really. Because it mm -hmm. gets your full attention. And I think that is really, I think that's therapeutic in itself. Because you right. stop thinking about yourself, even though as an actor, it's all about you. I think you know there are so many sort of paradoxes with acting it none of it makes any sense you know it's 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 kid stuff really but there's yeah i think i think there it is there is a kind of therapeutic element to it the only thing with the voiceover stuff is that especially with the games i think you you often end up dying like you know 35 times at the end of the session <laughs> and usually there's you know like can you give me impaled on a spike you know, so you're, and then can you give me the, you know, you're dying in fire. Rah! You know, and then there's, there's like 35, a list of things, ways you have to die. And they're all very loud and very screamy. Um, so they usually try and save those at the end of the session, which is always, I think, very gentlemanly of them. And then, so you come out and then usually for like two or three days afterwards, I can't speak because I've lost my voice. But other than that, yeah. It is therapeutic. So how did you get involved with Legacy of Kane specifically? I think that was that was one of the that was one of the first games that I was aware of. And I can't remember the chronology of it, but I I was looking back because somebody was asking me about that. And that may have been back in like ninety 92, 93, unless I'm completely crazy. That one I was just it was just an audition mm -hmm. and I showed up. I remember there was a a wadge of script. It was about three or four inches thick. <laughs> and I went into this booth and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to go crazy. And uh, I think the early ones, the early games, everything was kind of vocalized and, you know, was written down. And, and now it's become a little bit more streamlined. Scripts are usually thinner. Yeah, that, that I think was one of the first games that came out. And I mean, when you look at it now, it's kind of a, you know, it's a, like a little antique, you know, everybody's kind of moving around like that, you know, uh, it's, and they've become so much more sophisticated in terms of graphically, you know, there it was a bit more like, oh, I, I can't think of an analogy, but you know, it was quite sort of crude visually. It was very, right. you know, it was very um, two dimensional. And now they, the, the graphics are so much sharper and you know they're they're much more like movies and and i mean i think movies and and games are you know there's a there's a place where they almost cross over you know Definitely. because the technology is almost the same isn't it games are games have become cinematic over time i think yeah and i think the way they make those big movies now there's so much cgi so it's all it's all digital. It's just right. different ways of presenting it, you know. And that's for an actor, it's great, you know, because it's an opportunity. What Simon? What specifically made you want to specifically get into video game voice acting? Like, what led you to say, "I want to try my hand at the gaming voice acting"? I, I wish. Usually, it's just, "Do you want to do this job?" And I usually say yes. 
So if something comes up, especially for voice work, it's usually do you want to do a session? Uh, you don't really know that much about it. It's just do you do you want to uh, do you want to do these games? So you just go in and and do them. I didn't. I can't say that it was a. I mean, it was all new then, especially when Kane was 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 the Blood Omen and uh, Soul Reaver and all those ones. It was all new, so it, it just felt like uncharted territory. Nobody really knew. How, certainly didn't realize how big they were going to get it was there was something sort of epic about them too you know so it was like bad shakespeare it was it was <laughs> kind of do you know what i mean it was like oh my lord you know and all that sort of stuff <laughs> so, um and there was a you know it was, there were big big themes and, and lots of blood and you know so yeah that 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 appealed to you know some old ham like me yeah, so yeah, I think it. Yeah, it touched it touched a couple of sort of raw nerves. Did you once you got introduced to that role of Kane for the first Blood Omen? Did you initially see that series spanning into multiple games and products? No, I I I, I didn't. I kind of I remember at the time thinking, oh, this you know this could could be something. Somebody might really like this stuff because it was all new and nobody had really done it before. Amy, who was the, the sort of writer, was was such she was she was so sort of studious and quiet. And I mean, she could have got a job in a library or something. She was just, you know, she was really kind of like modest and quiet. And she was writing all this stuff about people being impaled on spikes and this, that and the other. And I thought, oh, that's I, I remember enjoying that, you know, and thinking she'd really kind of done her research and she knew these characters and the story. And it was it was nice to be a part of that. And yeah, if you, if you think you can solve somebody's problem, that always feels good. If they were looking, I guess, for, you know, a voice and they think you're it, it you know, it's nice to be part of it. Uh, but I did think, yeah, this could, this could turn into something. But I didn't realize that there would be like, I think it was like two or three games altogether. So we, we'd come back and do more. And then it, it got it got more sophisticated and easier to do that whole, you know, the three or four inches of script was got much smaller and the, the booth got bigger. So <clears throat> it was going in the right direction. We've seen Kane's journey change through each game. And what I wanted to know, a question I've always thought playing these titles is, did you have any involvement with maybe his character development or was that, or were you strictly just his voice actor? Strictly the, the voice actor. Cause I, I, people have asked me about this just recently and you know, so I thought, oh, I better know what I'm talking about. So I, I you know, I do these these cameo. Uh, there's this uh, app called Cameo mm. where you know you get to say happy birthday as Kane to somebody, you know, stuff like that. So I think, well, I better know what I'm talking about. And then people will ask me to, will you, you know, uh, give me advice as Kane because I'm going through a rough patch at the moment. And I think, oh my. God, they're asking me to kind of give them advice. Um, so I, I thought, well, I better know what I'm talking about. So I, I, I looked up some of the Kane stuff and I tried to cobble kind of a script together of, of what it was about. And I thought, if only I'd known that when I was doing it, it I might have done a better job. Um, but uh, but no, I was completely in the dark. So you just sort of, you know, take a stab and, in, in one direction and see what happens. And usually the people in the booth give you the, you, you know, the, the, the indication that you're on the right track or the wrong track. But 
but yeah, looking back, if I if if you'd known the arc of the character, yeah, I think I yeah could have you know I mean it would have been it would have been better. I could have done a better job basically. I wouldn't have screamed quite so much maybe. It's 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 kind of surreal to hear you say you could have done a better job when I'm pretty sure all three of us here think you did an amazing job. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you. absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're very kind. But no, it was, yeah, it's all kind of immediate. And there's something also good about that as an actor, because sometimes your first instinct to anything, it was, like, it was that Malcolm Gladwell book, Blink. You know, it's like you, boom, you see something, you react. If you overthink it, especially somebody like me who has fairly limited gray matter anyway, you know, you're better off with your first instinct. And I think with those those games that was very much the case you know you see a line you just jump in you know and see what happens and as an actor i think that is good sometimes i think if you overthink things there's a sort of paralysis that sets in i i once did a a play uh, and the play was 90 minutes long and it was a it was called uh, the dream play and it was by strindberg i want to say and we rehearsed this play for 20 weeks and it was 90 minutes long so we you need kind of deadlines and because we thought oh we've got 20 weeks so it's like to rehearse this play we the decisions we made were often the the wrong ones because we had too much time to think about it there's nothing like a deadline to to focus your thinking on something and certainly if it's you know if you show up and you've got the script and you have to do it within four hours that's a pretty sort of tight deadline so there's there's not a lot of time to think about it you just do it and so i think that as an actor sometimes that's very good you know depending on the material but yeah sometimes those instincts are the best ones mm -hmm. and if you overthink it you can confuse yourself which um, is poor excuse for me just saying that <laughs> I, I don't have many ideas <laughs> <laughs> We touched on uh, your Shakespearean origins and your theater origins. Personally, I can say when I uh, play these games, when I was in an adolescent, early teens area, I wasn't yeah. necessarily attracted to the Shakespearean things in my English class. But as I grew older, I, I kept revisiting these games, kept revisiting the audio dialogue. I know sometimes in the day and age, people don't necessarily view video games as art, but I look at this series as art. Do you think oh, this? Do you think this series could someday end up in like a literary English course or an acting course? Because I think this this dialogue is very deep in the way that you, Michael, and Tony brought these characters to life. And one of the things I have to say is, you guys brought at that time, you guys brought these characters to life in a way I believe nobody had seen before or heard before. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, remind me to tell you about Tony Jay, but. Amy, the, the, the writer of those games, was, you could tell she was a really serious person and she was really serious about what she was trying to, to do in a, in a good way. So yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they'll look back at them because it was, it was one of the sort of early games. Maybe people will look back on them. It seems to people, it seems to have touched a nerve with people, especially it's like me when I was a kid going to see these heroes of mine, you know, in the theater, that's, that's a sort of formative experience, isn't it? So it has all these associations attached to it. And that was, I guess, my feeling about Shakespeare is that it was part of my sort of teens and childhood. And, and I guess if you're playing those games, they're a, 
time in your life, especially if you're teens or whatever, everything is really raw and new and, you know, it's like a, an imprint on you. And so, yeah, I think they, they do become a part of people's consciousness. So, yeah, I shouldn't, you know, I, 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 I joke about it, but I, I don't mean to trivialize mm-hmm. that experience. You know right. what I mean? Because I think people get a lot of pleasure and enjoyment and satisfaction from playing the game. So, so to piggyback off that, uh, what was since you did mention Tony, what was your relationship like working with Michael Bell and Tony J? <laughs> what? I, Michael I, I've, has become a mate subsequently. He'll slide me a lot of emails and stuff. And but but Tony J was he was he, he was I was thinking about him the other day. I came out here doing the play Nicholas Nickleby. That was in 1986. We did a tour of it. We did. We went to London. No, we went to Stratford. We went to Newcastle. We went to Los Angeles and New York. And Tony was playing Mr. Crummles, who was the theatre manager. And he was he was absolutely brilliant as this this very pompous theatre manager with this sort of you know deep voice and he was he was quite wonderful he got he stole all the review and i remember he was the voice of martini rosso back in london back in england many years ago he had this try a taste of martini it was it was a an aperitif or a liqueur and tony was the voice of that so i ended up getting to know tony because we did this tour for like 18 months two years and he was such a great personality he loved los angeles he just loved the sort of opportunity so tony decided that this was very much the place for him when he came out and we did this this play in la and then new york and he went on to do you know like the, the disney movie the cartoon beauty and the beast yeah. and so he so it was weird like doing this game with him you know a few years later i i think there was there's a couple of things i think i've seen them on youtube where tony and i are in the same session and he gives me such a hard time I can't pull any of my bullshit on Tony because he completely <laughs> that was where it's coming from. But yeah, he was he was such a wonderful character and a wonderful character act. So funny, so inappropriate and brilliant. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Tony J. He's like the voice of God, wasn't he? You know. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah, 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 yeah. He was funny. One of my uh, last questions is is Simon Templeman a gamer? Do you play any of the games that you voice? I don't. I don't. Um, wow. I don't. I. I know it's terrible, isn't it? I, <laughs> I also think that if I did, it it would be such a rabbit hole. You'd never see me. My kids have got into. Is it? They're going to make fun of me. Is it Prisoners of Catan? Is that? <laughs> I don't <laughs> complete blank look. Yeah, Forgive me. Got me. <laughs> no, it's probably obviously some game which I've mispronounced. But all I hear is them them playing it, and I'm thinking, oh, okay. If you haven't heard of it, maybe I've got the name wrong, or it, it, it's not that good. Um, so no, I don't play it. And I, my kids didn't play them that much as 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 teens they that wasn't their thing so yeah i mean if you ask me any questions about the motivations of the characters i'm completely stumped you know <laughs> so at what point did you become aware that of kane's impact and popularity yourself like whoa this is actually something <laughs> oh well i remember there was i i used to do these they were like radio plays they do them sometimes in los angeles and they, they do a play and they present it on the radio 
but you also perform them in front of an audience. And I remember we did one play, it might have even been Dracula or something like that. It was for a company called LA Theatre Works. And they're probably downloadable on but I remember getting a note backstage and it was this somebody called the Dark Lord would like to meet you after the performance. <laughs> so I thought, oh my God, how do I turn down the Dark Lord? So yeah, I met the Dark Lord and this dude showed up in like cloak and the whole thing and his kind of hair slicked back. I thought, oh my God. He was charming, of course. He was lovely. The Dark Lord, really. <laughs> so I, I thought, oh, you know, something's afoot here. Um, clearly somebody's, you know, they've taken off in somebody's imagination. <laughs> but so, yeah, maybe that was, that was, that was a clue that. that things were getting out of control. I was going to ask, have, have you ever been approached by Audible because you could make a kill in reading Dracula? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? Those, yeah, I like those audible things but and i know there's you know there's like books on tape but again you know you're i think i was asked to do tom jones it was which is again is it's it's, uh, it's a fielding novel i think and it's huge it's like three inches in a penguin copy so it's you know it's like hours and hours and hours of dialogue and i thought to do this properly, I'd need like nine months preparing it, you know? And then you're going to be stuck in this little booth probably for weeks. I think I would have lost the plot. I think I would have, you know, it, it would have been, it would have driven me crazy. So those people who do them, I really, really admire their kind of technique and tenacity. You also voiced the uh, World of Pharaohs audio tour in uh, Vienna. How did that happen? Oh, yeah. I I guess Fred Molina wasn't available. I don't, I don't know. It just, it, I, I think I auditioned and you know, I, I, I got the right straw. Yeah. That's crazy. You know? I, just... It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's what, one thing about acting is you never really know what's around the corner, you know, which can drive you crazy, but it can also be such a kind of joy when something comes up out of the blue that you weren't expecting and you're flying off to some spot to do a job i mean that that is one of the great things about acting which i really enjoy but it's it's a little bit of a drug because you you know you you, you can get in love with the idea that the, a great job is around the corner and then you're still waiting five years later and it hasn't shown up. So you've got to be careful. Yeah, that was completely out of the blue. And yeah, I felt very flattered to be part of some fancy museum in Vienna. Um, yeah, look, if I'm yeah. walking through a museum uh, looking at mummies or whatever it may be, there's nothing, I'd, <laughs> no one I'd rather have talking to me than Kane, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's the same voice. Yeah. It's the same voice. I've got one performance, that's it. It's the same voice, whatever it is, <laughs> just louder or softer. Basically, that's it. You know, sometimes I'll change my hair, but other than that, I've got very little range. If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Preach. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, um, how, how selective are you when uh, taking a role or a voiceover? Unless it's something which is really, I mean, if it's if it's a union job, basically, yes, I'll say yes, because, you know, you, you don't really know what you're saying you're committing to. I mean, unless you're, I mean, where I am in my career, I, I you know, I'm like a, a taxi for hire. You know, if, if the yellow light's on and somebody needs you, then, you know, you're going you're gonna to say yes. I, I don't really turn things down. I, li I like doing, I like acting and I like doing things which I don't know how they're going to turn up, turn out, you know? 
So you you go in with the best of intentions. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not, but but usually it works out. So, so I, mean, I don't I don't say no ever, basically. I mean that's a that's a good way to keep a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What type of presence did uh Amy Hennig have while you guys were recording the voiceovers? Was she there? frequently or just was she on the phone giving instructions stuff like that yeah she was yeah she was there all the time but i think for all of those those games and yeah she's she's such a nice presence she's a very genuine person she's not show busy she's not fake and yeah it was you know i just wanted to make amy happy really you know because and if if you if you're working for somebody who you have a degree of respect for that that makes life a lot easier and i always thought she was you know she had integrity as as far as those games were concerned and she had an idea of what they should be and it was quite specific yeah i, I and I, we we've become sort of friendly i haven't seen her for a while but we had a coffee a few years back because she was living not far from me here i don't know what she's up to now but yeah she was there a lot and it's very much it was her uh, her baby the whole thing so yeah she was she was very much in attendance and uh, she was great i i, I yeah sure I, I have fond memories of amy very cool i always imagined she would be very hands-on with her work um were you able to record any voiceover for the cancelled legacy of kane dark prophecy game or do you know anything about that at all no what was that tell me about that it was a game developed, well, in development by Ritual Entertainment before it, they, they got funding pulled out from under them and they had to shut down. There are some screenshots online, but I was just curious as to if it got far enough along as to where you had to record any dialogue for it. I, I don't think I did. I hope I'm not some, doing somebody disservice. I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think I was involved. Was, was Amy involved with those? I do. I, I'm not 100% positive on that. I don't think I did, but also they they may have gone in a you know a different direction with with new characters. You know, they may not have needed Kane. They might have used that as a sort of starting point for the game and develop new characters, which would make a lot more sense. You know, especially if you don't want to flog a dead horse. Kane was a, allegedly the lead character of the game, but to your knowledge, has there been any behind the scenes activity? Re- regarding a re-release of any of the games at all not that that i'm aware of typically i i i, I wouldn't be involved in that that process you know the, way above my pay grade you know what i mean yes i see completely um, understandable but yeah but, but people seem to be taking the the games very much to heart and as i i say i do these cameo things which is a, a great way of giving some money to charity so i any money i get from cameo I, I i can donate to you know a charity of my choice which is great you know so you can do a, a little kind of message with somebody or a birthday wish or something like this and somebody asked me to do <laughs> the the final speech of blade runner i don't know if you if you've ever if the tears in the it. rain speech exactly yes it's amazing and, isn't it it's yes. brilliant um, somebody asked me to do this for them uh, in the voice of Kane. Um, so I <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, that's a great it was, idea. It was, 
really fun, you know? And I got my 35 bucks, which I can give to this charity to, 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 to give food for, for people who don't have enough food. And so, yeah, it's like, it made me look at that, that Rutger Hauer, that speech. Oh my God, he was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> just so weird and wonderful and that speech was was fantastic so yeah simon i saw an interview of yours from a long time ago where you said that you yeah. had just started working on playing guitar so what's your progress in those years <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it's kind of plateaued out you know <laughs> cg and f <laughs> on a good day. It, I, well, the reason I, I got into it was because I was always, I was often being asked to like play, you know, musicians, especially when I've got COVID hair, you know, and I was always in LA. There is there's so many brilliant musicians and brilliant guitarists. And I would be like playing some English rock star or something. And I'd be the only guy in the room who couldn't play guitar. I mean, <laughs> completely useless. So I started getting into it. This was... It was it was a show called Just Shoot Me, and I was supposed to be playing this aging rock star who has a thing with Wendy Malick. Somebody said, "Oh, you should you should, you can borrow my guitar." But and it's the perfect thing for an actor, especially if you're stuck in your dressing room, you know, a lot. Yeah, I became quite obsessed with it, but I'm completely crap. I mean, I <laughs> it doesn't stop me, but you know, and I wait till my kids and my family leave the house, and then I'll play. But I love it, you know. I I've always I've always liked, you know, rock and roll music. I mean, I was an early team when the Beatles were coming up. So three chords and a song is, yeah, as I say, there's so many great musicians in LA and you can see them, you know, you can see them up close. And now there's a place near me called McCabe's Guitar Store, which is in Santa Monica. And you, you can see these fantastic musicians there. And then, you know, Jackson Brown will show up and do a little kind of few numbers and stuff. So yeah, I, I I love all that, and I guess when you when you're trying to learn to play guitar, you realise that you know somebody like Bob Dylan can make three chords just sound so. They go a long way. Oh God, or Neil Young, those people, you know, um, they're talking about formative years. Those songs were so much a sort of part of my, you know, teens and childhood that you know just trying to seeing the genius of those guys because the the chords are the same but it's what they do with, with those chords and the, the, the lyrics and stuff so yeah I, I, yeah I, I'm, I'm still trying i'm still trying to get you know b minor I, that's I mean, all that counts <laughs> <laughs> so you're usually cast as the bad guy vampire or villain are you a fan of horror like what are your favorite films if, even if not oh yeah um i Thinking about that, yeah, I, there's a movie, I don't know if you know, do you know Don't Look Now? I'm not familiar with it. It was a Nicholas, there was a guy called Nick Rogue, he was a cameraman. This is way back in the sort of 60s and 70s. There was a movie called Performance, which he directed, with Nick Jagger as sort of drugged out rock and roller. Uh, it's a weird oh. and wonderful movie. Oh. But he, he did a movie called Don't Look Now, and it's based on a Daphne du Maurier book, I think. And... It's got Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie, and it's all set in Venice. I remember seeing it in some art house movie in London, North London, and I just thought it was brilliant. Don't look now. And then as a kid, I used to watch those like Hammer Horror stuff. They, they oh, yeah. show up on the, on the BBC, you know, late at night. And I still watch like those. That. Christopher Lee and, you know, all that lot. Yeah, yeah. They're great. So, so what is your favorite genre to work in yourself personally? 
I don't really have a, I'd like to do some, some, I haven't done theater for a long time. I'll keep on thinking I'll get a one man show. <laughs> that will be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would for me, but I don't know if the audience would have a good time. You got three tickets That's right here. Want. I'm about to say you got three <laughs> tickets right here. <laughs> All right, we'll do it. Um, uh, coming to a living room near you. Um, yeah, that, that I might, maybe I'll get that off the ground at one point. I don't know. I'm always saying I will, but I never get around to it. But yeah, maybe some more theatre. But yeah, it's it's been weird, this whole COVID thing. It's sort of shut everything down. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to reopen and what form it will take or whether it will, will change things. I mean, theatre is has just been shut down completely. I don't know how reopen. I'm sure they'll they'll come up with creative ways to do it, but I'm not sure what they are just yet. But yeah, I think that I, that feeling of, you know, being in a room full of other people, uh, having the same experience is is going to be maybe even more powerful after all this is done. You know, I hope so. I mean, my daughter's um she she's a she's a musician. She's she's studying cello. They're they're kind of finding ways to perform. It's just sort of shifted everything. You know, our understanding of the world. I ne- I never thought that I'd be in this situation. I find it very unnerving. You know, I wake up and think, oh yeah, we're in the same situation that we. We were yesterday. I sort of forget about it, but it's right. um, yeah. I mean, I think we've got we've got to prevail and we've got to persevere, and things will get better. And I'm I'm happy that my kids are getting on with their lives. But as right. a as a as a school kid, as a teenager, I I I would have gone off the rails. I think I would have found it really hard. I mean, this seems for actors. It, this would seem. This is someone speaking from the outside looking in. Of course, this would seem like a great time to get into voice acting. You know, working from home, set yourself up a booth at home. Maybe seems like yes. a booming. Yeah, I think I think movie. that's the way it's going to go. Don't you? Is that, right. that? And I know there's a, a couple of like apps that you can use so that you can. It, it's almost it's like you're there real time with the the people and the other end, so that they can give you notes and the sound quality is 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 so good that they can they can use it i'm not that up to speed on all that stuff and i was looking into it the other day and i, I suddenly thought well yeah maybe i should get it i'll download this app you know i'll put it in my little closet out the back there and i'll do it and i thought well what if i'm in a session and the guy next door starts his lawnmower up? <laughs> i'm screwed you know and then i've i've wasted somebody's time so i thought well i i, I might have to rethink think that but i'm sure that's the way things are going i once did a a tv show it was called the neighbors it was on abc and one of the directors said oh we want you to sing the 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 opening song and i I was so excited i was so happy to do this and uh, so they sent me this sort of rough track and i was up in santa barbara with my ipad and a little sponge box and i remember uh just sort of doing the, the the song in my hotel room in my underpants in Santa Barbara <laughs> and they broadcast it and every time I heard this I, I think this is brilliant there I am in my underpants in Santa Barbara and I'm on network television it's fantastic so yeah all things are possible right right I'm going to have to go look up that song after we get off the call here yeah I, I'm sorry that's an image you might want to get out of your head <laughs> sounds comfortable to me <laughs> Yeah, well, in the time of COVID, right? Nobody's wearing, you know, fancy pants anymore. Yeah, I'm not going to stand up. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you work with your voice a lot. Do you take any extra measures to protect your, your moneymaker? Do you do any exercises or do any? No, not really. No, I, no, I don't. There's, I mean, that thing with, with video games and the shouting can get a bit challenging sometimes because, you know, they, you can you sound a bit ragged at the end of it, but I, I haven't really done any like permanent damage, but I know actors, you can get nodules and stuff like that. So you have to be a little bit careful about it. I don't sure. smoke anymore. That was, that was always good for a, like, you know, I mean, Tony J talking, I mean, he had his own subwoofer, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? But he'd smoke <laughs> yeah. about, he'd smoke about three packs a day. I think that always helped. Yeah, it gives you the but radio yeah, voice. Yeah. Yeah. He was in a league of his own, but yeah. So I, um, I think that was his preparation was, you know, a few Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> If there was an announcement tomorrow that the franchise was going to be rebooted, would Simon Templeman yeah. be interested in reprising his role? Oh, well, I, shouldn't I, I, I say for the right price at this point? <laughs> but, 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 but secretly, the answer is yes, of course. Especially <laughs> if uh, like Amy, Amy had anything to do with it. Yeah, I think it would be fun. It would. Yeah, and also I might know what's going on now, too. You know, now I've seen the games and stuff. I, I, I might do a, do a better job. Oh, no. um, <laughs> No, I think those cameos well, uh, telling... start dropping. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I was, I was doing, I was talking to somebody. I think it was on a cameo, and they were asking about is it Dragon Age, the game Dragon Age, and right. I did some some voices for that. And I think they did two or three of the games. Again, I think it was a cameo thing, and I thought, well, I better find out what what I did, you know. So I, I looked up the games, and I was playing the same character, but. I think I must have forgotten and I changed the accent, which is so, which is, you know, I mean, things like that, you really should know better. But yeah, so the answer would be yes, especially the cane. Yeah, it'd be fun. Just kind of bland question. What's, what's just some of your regular hobbies, like a, a, a regular day in the life of Simon Templeman, like let's say pre-COVID? I got a back injury when I was, when I was a young actor and it was, oh, it was a nightmare. So, and people used to say to me, you know, when they'd see me sort of bent double with my, my, my back all messed up, you should do yoga. And I'm, I never listened to them because I thought it's so boring and stuff. But I wish I had because I do yoga now to try and keep me in shape. And it, it's good for my head and, and it's great for my back. And I, my son, who's 28, he's, he said the other day he got a bad back and I thought, oh no, don't go there. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I would, yoga would be a, very much a part of my day if I could do it. I think it's, it's just spending an hour thinking about something, being focused on something, you know, giving it your 100% concentration. And I, I think we were talking about that earlier on, how therapeutic that is. You know, talking about T.C. Carson and he was saying that, you know, he poured all that energy and emotion into what he was doing in the booth and, and that was sort of therapy for him. And I think, I think yoga does that for me in many ways, you know, because you're just thinking about something, you know, you're giving it your absolute concentration. I think right. I would, I would say that would, that would be a good day. And then, you know, doing C, G and F again, trying, trying doing that, playing the guitar. <laughs> yeah. So do you have anything on the horizon? Where can folks find you? Do you have a website, Instagram, all that stuff? I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wean myself off the socials too. I'm off Facebook. I'm off Twitter. I'm on Instagram because of my kids. What's that, that guy, Jaron Lenier, do you know who he is? He's yeah. like some weird and wonderful kind of computer scientist guy. And he was, he's a kind of futurist thinker. And so I thought I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be less on my phone. 
You know what I mean? I, I realize it's such a rabbit hole. It, I, I don't feel good after I've been on my phone for 90 minutes and I find it very easy to get there. So I'm, I'm trying to, to reduce that because this whole kind of COVID thing and we're all stuck inside and, you know, what's going on kind of globally, I find very strange and unsettling. Uh, and I think that the way technology, I think it, it can be, you know, it can be, it can be sort of destructive. And I mean, I, I like discovering things which I don't know. And the trouble about, you know, curated sites or once somebody's got all your data, they think they know what you like and what you're interested in seeing. And I'm interested in finding stuff which I don't know about and surprises me. And I think that is, well, I'm going off now, but, um, <laughs> and I, but I, I think there's something exciting about that. It's when you discover something in yourself which you didn't know was there right is 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 illuminating to who you are and i think oh boy i'm disappearing up my own fundament but but as an actor is when when you you know if you discover if you find something unexpected there's such pleasure in that and such joy in that that i think you know it's good to to sort of follow that and I, and that's what worries me about me spending too much time on my socials and twitter and all that is and that idea that everyone's got your data and that you're just, you know, you're kind of being watched all the time. That freaks me out a bit, you know? I'm um, agreed. Really? Yeah, well, yes, I was watching, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, because, yeah, I was watching this show. It's called Alone, and I'm completely addicted to it. And it's, you know, they drop like 10 people off in these terrible places like the Arctic, and they just have to survive. I find it absolutely brilliant and compelling because there's they're just they're reduced to a, you know a very primitive state and i mean i know it's a reality show and it's a tv show and everything but it touches these people in the most primitive spot it's fascinating i think it's on netflix there's a bunch of them you know there's a guy who's got a bow and arrow and he he kills a moose with a bow and arrow, and then he kills a wolverine with a bow and arrow, and it's they're just forced to survive. Um, and I find that fascinating because it's quintessentially kind of human. And I guess, I mean, does that relate to the games in some way that you're, I don't know, it's in your imagination, but I, I've, I've been watching that series and I find it fascinating definitely i can agree with that and we were just speaking before you entered the room about how we think everyone should have a vpn just to protect their uh privacy from because the internet is always grabbing your information and sharing it here sharing it there bouncing it off of this and giving you like you said what you think you want and that's right. and usually that's not what what they give you is not necessarily what you need <laughs> well that, that this, yeah exactly this whole facebook thing about disinformation and fake stuff i mean it's it, it's becoming very sort of i don't know um dystopian, dystopian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean exactly. just i i drove down the street with ros the other day and we you know you'll see encampments here of people living on the street in tents if you go by the va there's um there's a row of tents with american flags on it and these guys are living on the street and it's and then you'll get some $250,000 Rolls Royce drive past and you just think it just it doesn't 
make sense is something kind of off about this i don't know how we we get back to something simpler that's and i guess that's what programs like alone you know that that's sort of called they strike in me and i guess maybe that relates back to the games is that there's you know they they usually take place in the past or some sort of you know idea of the past and there's something maybe there's something very comforting about that to us because definitely the future changes so fast and especially in these last sort of few years that you know everything is is terribly uncertain what do you think definitely uncertain and the show you're referencing just touches on simplicity and games themselves are an escape you know just to try to get us out of all the everyday mess you know so i guess that's 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 how they or to work together i could see that there seems to be real anxiety and going back to thinking about blade runner i mean that that seems to be so prescient so forward thinking i mean the images in that movie and then driving down around la it's just like oh my god i'm in blade runner Are you know there's guys life. living under <laughs> yeah um and that was what 20 30 years ago right what's but funny is i'm pretty doesn't blade runner take place in 2020 does it oh, i'll have to look that up around this point in time it's about but... the same year is that right yeah that would be spooky. That would be so spooky. Oh, man, I think it wow. is. I'm going to have to look it up now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. You guys are the best. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. I've really enjoyed doing it. All right. Hey, Simon, any time that you get, if you get any kind of project coming on, our doors are always open to you. All right, brilliant. You guys take care. It's been fun. All right, you too, my friend. You have too. a good night. All right, cheers. Stay safe. All right, all the best. Madness and magic.